0: Like Jen said, "I'm Anthony. If you don't know me, uh, I'm on staff here. I'm glad to be here, and we'll be speaking this morning. So we have been studying. For those of you who may not have been with us, if this is your first time here or online, or you've not been here for a few weeks, or you just forgot because summer weeks are long, we've been going through the book of James this summer at Lighthouse. James was, for context, if you're not sure, James was the half brother of Jesus." And he was somebody who did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was until Jesus did what he said he was going to do. Uh, And Jesus died, rose again, and that was enough for James. James James saw Jesus after the resurrection and said, okay, now I believe. And so that took him from being just a brother to a believer. But then he became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. We see that in the book of Acts. If you're familiar at all with the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, it's the fifth book, kind of the history book that Luke wrote of the early church. And we see James rising to a position of leadership in the church. And what he decided to do, because obviously in the first century, there was no mass media, there was no way to just uh, get online like we have the tools to do or to send out uh, CDs or MP3s or cassette tapes, if you're that old like me to remember cassette tapes, or vinyls or 8-tracks if you're older than me, because I don't really remember those. I used to have a little tiny one Little record player, but that was about it. But he didn't have all those tools, so his way of doing it was writing a letter that would then be copied and shared and spread all over. And James wrote this letter, what we call the Book of James. It's just a letter to a bunch of people that were in the same position that he was. They were Jewish by birth or by culture, and they had begun following Jesus as their Messiah, and they were needing to understand what this meant, what this new way of going, what this new way of following Jesus meant. So we've been studying this letter that he wrote and seeing what it can say not just for them, but what it can say for us. Now I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When James wrote this, there are times that he used a lot of words to talk about a subject. And then there are times he used a little bit. So last week, if you were here with us, we had about 10 verses to look at. Today we have two. That's it. So we should have no problem being out by 1250 no problem at all. We are going to be fine. For those of you online, just pause and come back later if it's too long. No, we'll be fine. We're actually going to look at a couple verses in James chapter 4, then review some stuff in James 2. We'll go to two other places, and that'll all be on the screen for you to follow along, or for those of you online, it'll be underneath, and you can follow along, or obviously you can follow along in your Bible as well. So we're going to read a couple verses from James chapter 4. And we'll kind of just see them, then we'll do some other places, and we'll come back and kind of comment in light of all of that toward the end. So James chapter 4, verse 11, he writes this. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. Is God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? And this is something that puts us in a very tense spot. If you've been, well, this is a human thing, no matter what, because we all have those, no matter what your belief system is, no matter what your your worldview is, your standards, whatever it is, we all have those things that we look at other people that they don't measure up and we want to judge them because it's just part of humanity. But we can be even worse about it sometimes as those who follow Jesus because we don't just have our own ideas, we have a book of other ideas that we get to look at and say whether people measure up or not. And so this puts us in a really difficult position because we feel like we should judge some things, but then we're told in places like this, well, don't do that. And it's that tension, do we do, do we not? How do we do it if we're supposed to do it? And we've probably all had to walk that line at some point. No matter what your personality is, no matter what you go through, you've probably been in a spot with people that are more judging of you, or people that you feel, or they feel you're being judgmental of. And it's a tension, because you may have had people come up to you and say, doesn't your book say not to judge me? They don't know where it is, but they think it's there, or only God can judge me, or any of those kind of things. And you feel like, well, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just trying to live right, but what do I do? And on the other hand, when you see people that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, it's like, shouldn't I do something about this? Where where does that, where does where do we, how do we deal with that? And it's, There's just so much pressure, especially when we remember what we saw in James a few weeks ago, if you were with us. In James chapter 2, he says, so whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. If you're not sure what that is, you can go to our website, you can go on Facebook, go back to that. It will explain a little bit more. But just moving on, the next verse, verse 13, he says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, then God will be merciful when he judges you. So we're seeing this a couple times now, once when we saw it before and now, that we can decide how to respond, but yet when we make that decision, it puts us in a spot where God is now going to deal with us in that same way. We can take a page from his playbook and play it by his rules, or he'll take a page from ours and play by our rules. Well, now that makes it difficult because if God's going to handle me like I'm handling other people, there's a lot of pressure even more on it. Now, one thing you might get by this point is thinking about James and saying, I understand, you don't have to say anymore, James is one of those people that doesn't have a problem with people doing wrong. He just has a, people with, a problem with people who call out others for being wrong. James just wants to get away with what he wants to get away with. And he'd, if you've seen the rest of James, that's not true. But you might from these verses and saying, James is only hard on people that are hard on other people. But James is not the only one that we see that talks about this concept of judging and how to do it and how to do it right and whether we should even do it in the first place. You see, he got it from somebody very close to him, his brother. He got it from Jesus. Jesus. Now, I don't know how much he paid attention to Jesus. How much would, if you've ever had to listen to your brother say anything, even if it was in public, how much would you listen? I don't know. I don't know if James would go just, you know, Mary would drag the rest of the family along, let's go see Jesus. And say, like, all right, fine, I don't want to listen to Jesus. I don't know where he got it from, but at some point he was listening because Jesus said this multiple times. The place we're going to look is Matthew 7, if you want to turn there, if you're following along. This is part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Why do we call it that? Well, Jesus was preaching a sermon, and he was on a mountain, so we're very creative in Christianity, so we called it the Sermon on the Mount. just makes sense. But this is something that Jesus would have preached multiple places. Luke tells us he preached basically the same thing in another location. Again, just like James, Jesus didn't have all these tools that we have to spread a message. So Jesus had this same message that he would preach all over the place. So he says to his audience, in this instance, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Verse 2, For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Reminding us again that this is kind of, we get to play the rules. We get to pick the rules that we're going to play with. Um, Have any of you ever played a game that you had family rules for? For, for me growing up, it was Monopoly. This is the one that sticks out for me from my past. My sister and I would play Monopoly, and we'd play by a certain amount of rules. You know, we just, this is the way you play the game. And then at some point, we got one of the old, this is how old I am, one of the old original Nintendo NES systems. And it had Monopoly on it, the little cartridge, and we played it, and we started playing the game Monopoly. And we realized that they had different rules. And those were wrong rules, because that's not the way we played the game because that's not how you play Monopoly. And then we broke out the rules from the thing that we had and it realized, no, those are the rules. We've not been playing by the rules. But you might do that, you go to somebody's house, you play a game, like, okay, how do we play this? The other illustration, uh, we, we play Uno at my house with my kids and we have, for some reason, like six variations of Uno. How can you have them? I don't know, but it's a great marketing thing that they've developed. There's every single, if you're interested in it, there's a set of Uno. But there's special cards that are different to each one, but also the same thing. We played Uno a certain way. We read the rules because these have different rules. It's like, oh, you're supposed to play that way. We don't want to play that way. Put those rules. We're playing by our rules. And God says, that's fine. You want to you play this game. That's fine. But I'm going to let you set the rules because I can interact on multiple levels because I'm God, I'm good, I can do that. You tell me how you wanna play the game. And Jesus is reminding us the same thing. Then he gets to a spot I don't wanna miss because Jesus uses an illustration and if you've been in church a long time, you've probably heard this. Maybe even if you haven't been in church, you've heard this. But I want us to focus on and really think about the absurdity of it because he's trying to make a point. In the next verse, verse three, he says, why worry? about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own. Now, I don't know what what he meant. I'm assuming something large because you don't call a little stick a log, but just make it as crazy as you want to think about this thing that's sticking out of your eye, okay? Just really imagine, Nathan had a good point earlier, uh, that when you have even a small speck of dust, it feels like a log. So maybe that's what he was talking about, or he was just like, think of this big thing sticking out of your eye. If this is the problem, this is what you've got, why are you worried about something small in your friend's eye? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And Jesus understands that. He says, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help. <laughs> no, I don't want your help. Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye. When you can't see past the log in your own eye, imagine how crazy. You ever have to hold somebody's eyelid open and blow the dust out, maybe a kid or something like that? And they are like, imagine trying to do this when you have something sticking out of your face. Like, no, don't get close to me because you're going to mess up the other eye or that eye or something. Stop. Just leave me alone, okay? You got bigger problems than I do. Don't worry about my eye. You go take care of yours. And just like, yeah, that's, that's, you're, you're starting to get the idea. In fact, he's pretty harsh. He says, hypocrite. Verse 5, hypocrite. What? That's, that's pretty harsh. But it makes sense. Hypocrite is somebody that says one thing does another. I'm telling you, I'm so worried about that thing in your eye, and I'm leaving what's in my eye undealt with. Like first, before you do anything else, before you worry about your friend, before you worry about specs, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Not only will you feel better, but then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. It just makes sense. Because not only are you taking care of your problem, you know, it's like the old airplane thing, put your mask on first. Deal with yourself first, not only because you need to get that taken care of, but then you have clarity of vision because you're probably not even clear on what the problem is yet because you have a bigger problem that you're trying to deal with. Jesus is getting to the point where he's basically saying, if we just get busy about taking care of ourselves, we'd probably be too busy to stick our nose into other people's business. Because ultimately, we know this, I think, if I'm not right personally, if I am not right, I'm not going to be the best judge of whether you're right because my vision is clouded, my vision's not clear. Even with something small in your eye, it disorients you. Imagine something bigger, you're not clear thinking, you're not seeing clearly enough, you're not going to be helpful to anybody. So we've seen James, we've seen Jesus. There's somebody else that wants to get in on the party of this whole matter of judging and that's Paul. If you don't know Paul, Paul was a first century missionary. He converted from Judaism to following Jesus and spread the message of Christianity all over the Roman world. Started churches, wrote letters. Most of what we find in the Christian scriptures is either about Paul or written by Paul. He wrote letters to churches, to people, just spreading this message and and getting the idea of what it meant to be a Jesus follower. And so in one of those letters, he's writing to the church in the city of Rome. Had a lot of problems they were in a tough area and he starts off romans one he goes through a lot of things in fact if you're a church person you're probably very familiar with the romans one thing because it's it's kind of one of those hammers we like to pull out and hit people over the head with when we're not doing the jesus thing right but he goes through all this and maybe works his audience up into frenzy i don't know but he transitions and he says after dealing with all these things that were wrong in culture or talking about these things he says in romans 2 verse 1 you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. I should have warned you, um, Paul is not very gentle he He's not a punch puller, punch puller. I don't know if that's a word, we'll make it a word. He doesn't pull punches, he's not a punch puller. This is Paul. He's just going to hammer. I'd say he doesn't have time. He just wants to get into it. But the book of Romans is very long. He had time. He just said, I'm not wasting time. I'm just hammering you. So that's Paul. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. If If you want another way to put this, if you're a meme person... Um, If you picture the Spider-Man, multiple Spider-Man pointing at each other, they're all the same. That meme, this is Romans 2, verse 1 in meme form. Just, there's a bunch of people, they all look the same, pointing fingers at at other people. If you don't know what that means, that's fine. Some of us get it. If you don't, it's okay, look it up, Spider-Man pointing meme. Or just forget it, it doesn't matter. But anyway, that's Romans 2, 1 in meme form. He's saying, basically, you're sitting around and you're pointing at a bunch of people and saying, you're bad, and you're all bad and you all got problems and you all need to deal with it. That's what Paul is saying here. And it gets worse because verse two he says, and we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? happy Sunday. Thanks for being here. <laughs> imagine reading, well, we just read it, so you don't have to imagine very hard, but think about listening to this as Paul's audience, or think about how that hits us, basically saying, you're all bad, you're all horrible, you all have no excuse. God's not very happy with any of you, and you're all in trouble. I mean, it's like its like that parent, you know, there's a whole group of kids, or something going on, or whatever it's school, it's the principal, or home, and maybe it's dad, and it's like, Nope, you're all in trouble, wait till dad comes home. And this is where Paul is saying, we're all kind of sitting in this place waiting for God to just deal with it. And it feels hopeless, it feels heavy because Paul wants wants us to feel the weight of it for this reason, verse four. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is? And I look at that and I say, yes, and that's the problem. Because I see these things that don't make me happy because they're not right, and I'm bugged that God's not taking care of it. And if he's busy, I'm not, let me have it. Because that's the problem. God is being way too kind and tolerant and patient, just needs to deal with this. Won't he get on with it already? That's why I'm judging, because God's not doing the job. But Paul's not done because he says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, Paul, not, not me. I'm the good one. Remember, I, I, I have the book. I follow the book. I keep the rules. It's not, I'm not the problem here. They are. He's like, no, no, no. That's what I've been talking to you these last few verses. I've been telling you that you are the problem. God is, I love this phrase. I'm going to keep repeating it wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient with me, with you. Because God is holy, just, and righteous, and can crush us. He can. But he's being kind, tolerant, and patient with me and with you. He continues, he says, Does this mean nothing to you? He's talking to an audience of Jesus' followers. They got it at one point. They understood the grace that Jesus gave. But he's saying, you've forgotten it. You've made it, you've taken it for granted. You've just gotten to this point where it doesn't affect your life at all anymore. It's like it means nothing to you how good, kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you. And he makes a point as he ends the verse. He says, can't you see that his kindness, God's kindness, is intended to turn you from your sin? You see, all of us have done wrong. All of us are doing wrong. And God is wanting to fix that. And God is fully capable, as I said, of just saying, I can crush it, I can stop it. I can just burn you, but I'd rather turn you. He's saying, you've been going down this path, you've been doing wrong, and my kindness is not because I'm happy with it. My kindness is not because I want you to keep going that way. My kindness is because if you pushed up against the edge of the boundary and I stopped it, there'd be no coming back. But I want you to turn, I wanna fix this, I wanna bring you back to me. That's what my kindness is for. And when we forget that, we go way too far. Because we don't just forget that the kindness is for us. We forget that God's kindness extends to them too. That God's ultimate goal, God does not get to light in crushing people, in burning people. He wants to bring them back. That was what the cross was for. If he just wanted to judge the world and just be done with it, why send Jesus? That was the point of all of it. It's intended to turn us from our sin. And in light of that, it basically brings us to this. When we realize, when we realize how good God is, it reminds us that we're no better than anyone else. What right do I have to expect God to be unloving and unmerciful, but yet want Him to be that way for me? Because we're all the same. I'm no better than anybody else. I deserve the same that they do. So if I'm thankful for the grace, I should be thankful for the grace that they get too. That's what I should want. Because it reminds me that the ground's pretty flat the blame is pretty spread out. I don't really have a standing to do that. So, having seen all this stuff, what Jesus said, what Paul said, let's go back to James. We're going to go back to James chapter 4. We're going to read our two verses. Remember, that's all we had. We filled in some more to make sure we had some context. But we're going to go back through and we're going to look at those verses again in light of everything that we've looked at. So James four eleven. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. See, especially in the church, especially as Jesus followers, this is a new family that that God is calling out. Your your family, you share the same father. Why why are you speaking evil against them? Why are you don't don't do that? He just got done. We, we looked at last week, he's talking about all the fights and the wars that come because we're not getting what we want and that the answer was humbling ourselves before God but then not turning around and doing this and speaking evil and trying to humble them too because we're supposed to be humble and not knock them down because he says, if you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. No, I'm not. This is the part that James doesn't get. I'm not criticizing God's law. I think it's wonderful. The parts that I obey, I agree with completely. The parts I don't obey, I'm working on. I know God's probably right, but the ones that I obey, I am fully convinced that God's law is perfect and wonderful. And he's saying, okay, this is bigger than just God's law. It is God's law, the royal law. Love your neighbors yourself. Treat people the way that, love people the way that Jesus loved you. But the idea is also God's law and order. Dum-dum. Sorry. The order that God has set up. God has put himself, he set up this system. and He's like, you're judging and you're criticizing what I've set up. But you forgot, when you said yes to Jesus, when you decided to follow Jesus, you said, okay, I'm good with that. This is Jesus' law, I'm gonna follow Jesus' law because I'm following Jesus. But you've decided, like he said, he's, your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. We don't get to pick which neighbor to be kind to. We don't get to pick which people we choose to love like Jesus did for us. It's all of them. It's, it's an all-skate. It's all-inclusive. If you see anybody, no matter what they're doing, no matter how difficult it is, they're part of the all. They're part of the, your neighbor. He's like, it, it, it's everybody. If you're not sure who it applies to, yes. That's it. It's everybody. And our job is just to do it, not to decide, do I really have to follow it here? God alone, verse 12. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. And the judge will judge at some point. Let me put it this way. Have have you ever been in a spot where you had to give rules? Maybe you have kids or you were needing to instruct a group of kids, and you gave them very clear instructions? In that entire room, who is the person that understands the rules best? Who is the person who knows exactly what's expected? You are. You are. You gave the law. If you have, at your work, you have employees or people that respond are under your authority, and you give them protocols, you give them directions, who's the most aware of whether it's being done right or not? You are. You gave the law. God is saying, I gave the law. You don't have to tell me that they're not meeting up to it. I know just like I know you are not either. I got it. And he alone has the power to save or to destroy. Nerd alert. I like Lord of the Rings. Some of us here like it, if you don't like it, I'm sorry. But there's a moment, I won't get too deep, but there's a moment where Frodo, the main character, is saying to Gandalf, he's very frustrated that somebody has not get, gotten punished for what they did wrong. And he wants immediate, swift, and harsh judgment on them. And Gandalf looks at him and says, essentially, there are many people who die who deserve, who deserve it. There are some people that live that deserve to die. You're absolutely right. But there are some people who die Who deserve to live. Can you fix that? We're really easy, we're really willing to kill the people that should die in our minds, but we can't do anything to to fix it the other way. This is James. God is the only one who ultimately has the power to save or to destroy. Now, we try and do our part, don't we? (laughs) Hopefully for good, we want to bring them whole, but so often we can try to destroy people by what we say or how we treat them. You think, can you really fix that? Do you really know all the truth? Do you know everything that's going on? You don't have the power to do it. You're not the judge. So what right do you have? What authority do you claim in order to judge your neighbor? see, when we look at it, we understand that we're all messed up. Paul, later on in that same letter we looked at, would say, we've all come short of God and His standard, His glory. We're all guilty. But yet, when I am faced with that realization with God, I'm not asking for God to judge me harshly or just beat me down. I don't want that. I want God to be wonderfully kind, patient, and tolerant with me. I want him to understand that I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying, I'm just not getting it right. And if I can understand that that's what I want, maybe, just maybe, I can understand that I want that for you too. That I want God to extend that kindness. Ultimately, hopefully, this is what we want. That I want to show others the grace that I want God to show me. Maybe God just wants us to go to Him and say, Hey, God, that's really, that, that's really bothering me what they're doing. Wait, what I do bothers you too, doesn't it? Yeah. I should fix my problem first, shouldn't I? Yeah, it'd probably be a good idea. Will you help? Oh, yeah, I love to be wonderfully kind, patient, and tolerant. Then we can talk about them. I'll work on me first. You got them. We'll work on me. If we could do that, imagine how much we could rest at night by not worrying about everybody who's not getting it right. I'll just take care of me, God will do that. And and when God gives me an opportunity to help them, I'll be there because I'd rather see them turn than burn. That's what I want. What would it do for Christianity if this church would follow this? If we as the capital C, the big church, would stop looking at people that haven't ever decided to follow Jesus And judging them and criticizing them for not following Jesus, they never signed up for it anyway. We're all about what they're not doing right while we're not doing right, and then we wonder why they don't listen to us about how right we are. If we would just work on us, let's deal with the logs, let's get them clear, let God work on the specs, and if we're right, if we're in the right frame of mind, then God will give us the opportunity to speak kindly and speak into that situation and say, hey, let me show you a better way. You're struggling. I understand. I struggle too. Let me, talk, let me get you the one that helps me when I struggle. All of this is what the cross was. Because Jesus had the opportunity, and they were expecting him to show up on the scene and destroy and set everything right and judge and be harsh and be king. And he said, that's for another time. We'll get there. But in the meantime, you need grace. You need me to bring you back. Because God, like we say so often, God wanted us back more than he wanted us to pay. And the cross was God saying, I understand. I made you. I know what you're made of. But I'd rather you turn and I can be loving and gracious with you because I want you back. That's how we live out the gospel. Yes, we want to share it, but we have to live it too. Of saying, I'm going to live like Jesus lived, I'm going to show grace because then I can share it with others. If we do that, there's hope. For us, we can sleep at night for the world because that message can change the world. If we just can start showing others the grace that we want God to show us when we mess up.